up. Whispers in the dark. I mean, come on. Fall Out Boy is good for something, right? Like music like this. So, uh, you know, no one ever tells you just how many darn follow-up appointments you have to have and how much it takes its toll on you when you actually get floored, right? Nobody talks about that at all. So, um, this week is a bunch of follow-up appointments. Uh, so I apologize for the inconsistency in time. I do not like being out of program, but sometimes stuff just happens out of your control. So now, huh, where do we start? There's a lot I want to talk about today, like a ton. And I'm like, I don't know where I want to start. Do I start on how to evade facial recognition? Do I start there? I mean, I could. I could. But I, I, I don't know. Should I start with, you know, celebrity gossip and stuff? Oh, okay. So uranium. Oh, great. Okay. Let's go on uranium. You guys want to talk about uranium? We could talk about uranium. What do you guys want to talk about? I mean, here's the thing. Whatever you see in the news now is long and far gone. You know, uh, for example, you know, not a lot of people are talking, you know, baked Alaska who went to jail because of whatever his role was. Right. But see, people aren't talking about other people that have been arrested. Like, for example, you know, a lieutenant colonel that was arrested. Right. He was arrested. He was the guy with the zip ties. Remember when they were jumping about now? Could you say that, you know, that's a big issue? Um, you know, he understood that they were conducting a federal coup. I mean, when President Trump comes in, most of these people will be pardoned anyway. We all know this and we just have to go through this. Another thing is no one's talking about recognition and that's recognition with a K, right? Uh, it was talked about a little bit, but you know what's funny? Mashable and all the other mainstream media outlets, they have deleted all of that stuff. Then we can go to, I think we should start it off with a little bit of Russell Brand. Now, those of you that have been listening to my show, I've talked about Russell Brand before. Actually, it was a few years ago where I was like, I want to have sex with his brain um, and raise its frequency like crazy, right? Um, I literally said that on air. And that's because I always liked him. I actually ran into him at a club, believe it or not, you know, a couple decades ago. Um, and he's hilarious. I, I always wondered why he, you know, got with Katy Perry, who insulted his manhood, by the way. Um, you know, and he was always on this like journey of spiritual awareness and understanding things, which, which was interesting. Uh, cause that's the type of vibe he gave me a couple decades ago when we ran into each other in a club and we were just talking, you know, I, I, I used to be a Ferrari. So, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, and maybe we could start with him cause he had some really good points that he, uh, you know, had out on, um, on uh, Bill Mayer's show, which was pretty cool. And, um, you know, he called out the hypocrisy and this is where I want to call out hypocrisy too. Um, just a little bit because people have like a short-term memory and forget, but it's actually quite terrifying when you think about it, right? Uh, you know, people are going to jail for things that they did being conservatives, but the left did it and it was okay. So that's really odd. And the fact that they're being criminally prosecuted you know, this is something we, we as a people should be fighting back against because once there's precedence, kind of like, you know, how you have no control over your children, right? There's precedence. There are decades of case law that do this. So we'll go through that. So let's uh, first start with, you know, <laughs> Russell Brand. Here we go. You know, I, I have to say, you know, 
his trademark is the chest. And it was like, and, and I remember the thing I told him when I saw him at the club, I was like, did you like purposely like cut that shirt so you could be like, you remind me of the 70s chicka pow wow wow porn stars. Like what's going on here? And he has like hardly any hair. It was like one or two hairs. I was just like, I was wondering the whole vibe that he was giving off. But um, <laughs> uh, here he is with his chest out. Let's take a listen. But I love you already. But I have to say that it's, it's disingenuous to claim that the biases that are exhibited on Fox News are any different from the biases exhibited on MSNBC. It's difficult to suggest that's, that's... that these corporations operate as anything other than mouthpieces for their affiliate owners in BlackRock and Vanguard. And, and unless we start to embrace, and, and also, mate, like just spiritually, if I may use that word in your great country, we have to take responsibility for our own perspective. I, I've been on that MSNBC, yeah, mate. It was right. propagandist nutcrackery yeah. you know, on you know, there. Yeah, I went on the show called Morning Joe. Yeah. It was absurd the way they carried on. Morning Joe. Yes. Yeah, it, I don't it. know what it was. It wasn't morning. There was no one called Joe there. No one could concentrate. They didn't understand the basic tenets of journalism. No one was willing to stick up for genuine American heroes uh, like Edward Snowden. No one was willing to talk about Julian Assange and what he suffered trying to bring real journalism to the American people. And I think to sit within the castle of MSNBC throwing rocks oh. at Fox News is ludicrous. My friend, make MSNBC better. Make MSNBC great again. My friend, I would love. I would. The moment the moment. Why is it on a territory you can win on, Joe? Russell, Russell, darling, um, the moment that you give me a specific example. An actual example. Okay, I'll give you oh, one. Wait, just wait. Wait, wait, wait. Just what we need a specific example. How about? Wait, 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 I don't let, me, let me tell you what the specific example I'd like to hear of. I'd like to hear a specific example, a provable specific example of an MSNBC correspondent or anchor being on television saying something they knew was false and were saying behind the scenes to people, this is, I'm about to go out and we know that we know that the election wasn't stolen You've or something equivalent, but I will go, but I will go out, but I will go out on television and say the opposite. I will lie. Where's my answer? Wait, wait, give, just give me a give me the specific example. I understand the basic okay. part. Give me a specific I, I, example. I, I, all, right, all right. I'm with you. I think it's a false equivalency, Russell. It's a no, no, it's not. Okay. That's your own biases. It's a false It's not about bias. It's a false equivalency because you don't <clears> actually know anything about any of these organizations you're talking about. Even on MSNBC once. Big fucking deal. My darling, you, it was more than enough. You can't come it up with such a You don't have a single, you have a single actual no. fact. Do you want an example? Do yeah, you yeah. want an example? Yes. The ludicrous, outrageous criticisms of Joe Rogan around ivermectin, re deliberately referring to it as a horse non, medicine when they know it's an effective medicine. Rachel Maddow turning up on the TV saying, if you take well, this vaccine, you're not going to get it when it hadn't been clinically trialed for transmission. You have to listen. Wait. Do you think? You can improve America by determinedly and avowedly condemning Fox News without acknowledging that you're participating in the same game. I'm Did you not just listen to Bernie <laughs> Sanders, someone who plainly legitimately believes in this country and believes it's possible to change, but is bound by corruption, is bound by the lobbying system? Surely it's clear to you, Bill, as one of the great pundits and experts and comic voices for systemic.
systemic change is required. Money has to be taken out of politics. We need new political systems that genuinely represent ordinary Americans so that we can overcome cultural differences. And bickering about which propagandist network is the worst is not going to save a single American life, not improve the life of a single American child, not going to improve America's standing in the world, and the world needs a strong America. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. So you have an obligation, a duty, not to condemn these people. Not to condemn these people. Well, he should also be condemned, right? Uh, you know, I really wanted to hear the Rachel Maddow one, right? I really did. I really did. But what he said is exactly it. We need new political systems. They're all linked. Every single one of them is linked. So I'll give you an example. So as you guys know, I was looking into, in 2019, I was um, looking into, um, my gosh, uh, my I'm blanking now, um, Clinton Management Energy Services. Now, while, you know, everyone was whatever, right, talking about whatever, that was one thing that I focused on a lot. I focused a lot on that specific thing. And the reason I did was because I found that there was a lot of money being exchanged in Ohio uh, with energy plants. And this stems from what I know of Uranium One, right? So um, the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Ohio, um, the Ohio House Speaker and former chair of the Ohio Republican Party, as well as three other people, and get this, a 501c4 entity were charged with federal crimes related to an alleged racketeering conspiracy involving over $60 million in payments to secure a nuclear power plant bailout. Now, the charges included conspiracy to participate in racketeering enterprise, conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bribery uh, concerning programs, receiving federal funds, among other things. Now, these defendants were accused of using the 501c4 entity to launder and conceal bribe payments and campaign contributions. <laughs> now, they face up to 20 years in prison for RICO and up to 10 years for bribery and wire fraud charges. And the FBI, IRS, uh, Criminal Investigation Unit, and the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Inspector General are involved. Now, um, what is this 501c4? Well, this 501c4 that they were using is called Generation Now. And basically, this 501c4, where they were getting all this money from, right, was linking was linked to people intimidating people for not like putting um what is it uh for to not fight a bill that was in motion which was house bill six if i remember correctly i should look it up actually um so that was a uh, pretty pretty interesting thinking oh that's 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 fascinating so we have you know this company right? And you're telling me that this company um, is no big deal. Well, listen to this. In July of 2019, the Ohio House of Representatives passed House Bill 6. They passed it. It was a controversial type energy bill that was going to provide like subsidies. It is House Bill 6. Thank you. Um, 
uh, to two Ohio nuclear plants and two coal plants. The bill was a result of a deal between First Energy Solutions, which is an Ohio company, and other Ohio representatives. Now, in October 2019, and if you remember, I was talking about this when. Do you guys remember when I was talking about Ohio and First Energy and Enron? Right. It was in the spring of 2019, right? And I had sent emails and then judges quickly vacated the case. If you remember, if you remember while I was talking about, it, I was like, what's going on? Oh my God, it's, it's June, 2019. And these people, I, I just asked, Hey, this case is still pending for Enron with, you know, SEMS Clinton energy management services. And, um, you know, with, uh, first energy, like what's going on? Why did the judges just make this shit disappear? right? It was like in, out, we're closed. And it's like, wait a minute. No, it was pending. No one responded. And it was at the, it was March when I started talking about it because I already filed the paperwork. <laughs> and it just so happened that at that time, they quickly pushed to pass this bill. And they did. So in October, 2019, federal prosecutors under President Trump announced charges against four people in connection with the passage of HB6. Now we could go to another house bill too that I want to talk about because that person should be held accountable and we'll get into it. And that's called Frank LaRose. Now, in October, 2019, federal prosecutors, when they announced these charges, they announced them against um, House Speaker Larry Householder, former Ohio Republican Party Chairman Matt Borge, uh, the lobbyist Neil and Juan Quespedes. They were indicted on charges, including RICO, money laundering, from like $60 million in bribery. Now, household, Householder and his allies allege, uh, uh, it, it's alleged that they use the money to further their own political careers, paying off groups and individuals to further their own agenda, including the passage of HB6. Now, another thing that you guys should keep in mind is that in 2019, First Energy also had this thing with the governor of North Dakota too. I, I'm just pointing some things out that are really important. These are important things to pay attention to. And this is what prompted me to start looking into Clinton Energy Management Services, which had the same freaking address in Texas with Enron, just so you know. So, Householder and his friends created a 501c4 organization called Generation Now. And that was used to actually hide the sources of the money. So people would give to that and no one would know. Now, in response to the charges, get this, because charges were done, DeWine ordered to freeze the implementation of HB6. And the Ohio legislature is currently considering repealing the bill. So it wasn't in effect. Now, HB6 was passed in July, but because of the prosecution, it was frozen. Now, Clinton Energy Management Services is a subsidiary of First Energy Corporation. Listen carefully. And it's a publicly traded energy company headquartered, again, Akron, Ohio. So Clinton Energy Management Services <laughs> allegedly has a headquarters in Akron, Ohio that had the same freaking address as Enron in Texas. Okay. So now Clinton Energy Management Services was responsible for managing the operations and maintenance of, get this, First Energy's nuclear power plants in Ohio and Pennsylvania. I hope you guys are catching on and where I'm going with this. Now, Clinton Energy Management Services, it was um, managed by a team of specialists in nuclear safety and operations, as well as support staff, right? Uh, as of 2019, Clinton Energy Management Services has managed and maintained over 20 years, get this, of incident-free operations at four nuclear power plants operated by First Energy. 
Now, who founded it? Well, apparently it was just a team of specialists in nuclear safety. Well, let me tell you the names of the executives of Clinton Energy Management Services. There's Steve Straw, S-T-R-A-H, Executive VP and Chief Operating uh, Officer of First Energy. Charles Jones, President and CEO of First Energy. Kenneth Zabliski, EVP uh, and Chief Financial Officer of First Energy. James Pearson, Chief Legal Officer at First Energy. Kenneth Shadron, Senior Vice President and Chief Nuclear Officer of First Energy. Stephen Mason, Vice President and Chief Nuclear Officer at First Energy. Jeffrey Lash, President and Chief Nuclear Officer at First Energy Corporation. Donald Schneider, SVP of Chief Nuclear Officer uh, and Chief Nuclear Officer of First Energy Corporation. David Anderson, he's the VP of Nuclear Generation and First Energy Corporation. And Thomas Atkins, the VP of Chief Nuclear Office for First Energy. Now, none of the members or board of directors for Clinton Management Energy Management Services have ever worked allegedly for the federal government, but it is a subsidiary of First Energy Corporations and all of the members are executives of First Energy Corporation. I hope you guys are paying attention. Now, Clinton Energy Management Services is not li linked to Westinghouse, okay? Because it's a subsidiary of First Energy Corporation. Westinghouse is a separate company. Westinghouse is a nuclear company. It's an electric company. It's an American nuclear energy company that provides and designs and manufactures services for nuclear power generation products and uh, provides like fuel and nuclear services to the nuclear power industry. That one was founded, get this, in 1886. Shit. Wait, 1886, Westinghouse Electricity slash Nuclear. Great. And it's headquartered in Pennsylvania. I think the place is called Cranberry, right? So um, it's a global leader, blah, blah, blah. Now, everybody knows that um, uh, Uranium One, let's go there for a second. All right, so before we get to the Uranium One, let me just put it this way. So as you understand, the reason that the people in Ohio got busted is because they were pushing to get this bill done to help the energy company First Energy, right? I hope you are getting that right now, that you're understanding what I'm saying. So um, <laughs> now I wanted to show the relevance as to how um, this relates to what I was saying about Frank LaRose, right? Aside from the fact that, you know, anything else, I wanted you to listen to this. Same scenario, different application. Now, the House of LaRose is a beverage distribution company that operates in Ohio. It was founded in 1939 and is still family owned and operated. The company distributes beer, wine, and spirits to retailers, restaurants, and other licensed establishments throughout the Midwest. In addition to its beverage distribution business, the House of LaRose also provides services such as consulting, training, and marketing to support its customers. 
So what does it do? As far as consulting, it offers like consulting services to help customers maximize their profits and grow their business. Uh, that includes help with inventory management, menu planning, pricing strategies, right? Training, obviously they help, you know, bartenders, servers, hospitality industries. They have programs that cover from responsible alcohol service and wine and beer education, right? Trading sommeliers or whatever. Marketing support um, is, you know, what they provide in respects to assistance with social media promotional events, right? The House of La Rosa also offers branding and design services to help them, you know, create unique brand identities, right? And it does warehouse and logistics, you know, uh, they have their own trucks and delivery vehicles to give stuff to their customers, and then they hold weddings and special events. Now, just so you know, Jobs in Jobs Ohio stands for Jobs Ohio Beverage System, just so you understand, which is a division of Jobs Ohio, which is a nonprofit corporation that serves as Ohio's lead economic development agency. The Jobs Ohio Beverage System was created in 2012 to take over the wholesale distribution of spirituous liquor from the Ohio Department of Commerce Division of Liquor Control. Keep in mind that when this happened, Frank LaRose was in the Senate, right? Well, let me continue. The House of LaRose, just so you know, is one of the distributors that works with Jobs Ohio Beverage System to distribute alcohol to bars, restaurants, and retail stores. Now, just so you know, public records, people are telling you that Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose didn't vote on the bill related to Jobs Ohio Beverage System but that's a lie. The bill in question is Ohio House Bill 674, and it was introduced in May of 2018 and passed in December of 2018. Frank LaRose was not appointed as Ohio Secretary of State until January of 2019, after the bill had passed. Huh. Because Frank LaRose was a legislator when the bill was passed. So who voted on House Bill 674, which was, might I add, unanimously passed. No, that's right. Frank LaRose did too. So Frank LaRose voted to help get his dad's company in. And every, there were 32 people, uh, th they were 32 people that um, voted. It was 32 to nothing. And he was one of the 32 to nothing. So he didn't even abstain to vote considering the uh, conflict of interest. Now, why am I getting into this? Well, because now we have to talk about conflict of interest and uranium, okay? So, this is really gonna be interesting and I'm gonna try to do my best um, to uh, make it as digestible as possible, okay? Because it's a little bit, it's a lot, all right? <laughs> it's a lot. So now that we understand the whole Ohio people getting rolled up and what my issue was with Frank LaRose in the first place, right? I think it's important that we um, kind of take a look into uh, Uranium One. And then we could talk about what happened. Then you're going to see how it ties in to... Um, other things, other things, other things. Now, how do I start this? I'm trying to think because, all right. Now, 
Uranium One was, uh, is Canadian-based, just so you know. It's a company that mines and processes uranium ore. The company is the world's largest publicly traded uranium producer and has operations, listen carefully, in Kazakhstan, the United States, and Canada. The company is majority owned by Rosatom, Russia's state-owned atomic energy corporation. In 2010, Uranium One was purchased by the Russians. And in 2013, Rosatom acquired a controlling stake in the company. In 2015, the U.S. government approved the sale of Uranium One to Rosatom, and the transaction was completed in 2017. So Uranium One is a Canadian-based company. I'm trying to state that again. Canadian-based company. So the sale of Uranium One again was approved, but who was it approved of? I want you to listen carefully. It was approved by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, right? That is an intra-agency committee of the U.S. government. It's chaired by the Secretary of Treasury and includes the heads of Department of Justice, Homeland Security, Defense, and State. Now think about it. Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. They approved the sale. Hold on a second. I'm just a little bit confused. It's a Canadian-based company. Canadian-based company. I'm going to repeat that because I, I want to hear the echo. Canadian-based company. I'm sorry. Canadian-based company. Okay. And who was in charge of saying that the sale could go through? The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. All right. So let me just tell you the people that, uh, you know, approved the sale of Uranium One to Russia. Jack Lew, Secretary of the Treasury. Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General. Jay Johnson, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Ashton Carter, the Secretary of Defense. John Kerry, the Secretary of State. Penny Pritzker, the Secretary of Commerce. Sylvia Burwell, Secretary of Health and Human Services. Ernest Moniz, Secretary of Energy. Robert L. Wolf, Director of Office, Science and Technology Policy. And Lisa Monaco, the Assistant to President of Homeland Security and Counterterrorism. Now, again, this is a Canadian-based company. Just throwing that out there. Now, where is the former Treasury, the, the, the Secretary of Treasury, Jack Lew? Well, right now, he's, you know, at NYU, Center for Global Affairs, and he just opines and gets paid in regards to international economic policy and business of diplomacy. Bullshit. He is just situated somewhere. Now... One question you should ask yourself is, why would the U.S. allow Russia to control uranium mining in Canada and Kazakhstan, right? Well, why would they approve it? Because it gave them control over the company's uranium mining and processing operations. And Canada is a major supplier of uranium to the world market. And allowing Rosatom to control Uranium One would give them access to a reliable source of uranium and would strengthen their position in the global nuclear energy market. Again, why would the U.S. opine and say we approve? Like, why, you know, Canada's under the crown. So I just, I want you guys to digest what I'm telling you, telling you. 
Why would the U.S. have to approve the Canadians giving this? This is just a question that I'm sure all of you are probably like, yeah, that's kind of weird why they have all these committees and why all these big names decided to do it. Wait, wait, it gets better. Just hold on. But I did say that I was going to have off on my show when I talk about Antarctica. Today, I'm just going to give you a hint. So why would they allow it? Now, what subsidiaries does Rosatom have? Let's think of that. So it's Russia state-owned, and it has subsidiaries like uh, Rosenergatom, the company that operates the nuclear power plants in Russia, Atomenegoprom, a uh, nuclear engineering construction company, Rosatom Overseas, a company that provides engineering construction services for nuclear power projects in the world. I think they were the ones that helped the Iranians, I just think. And Uranium One, you know, with their underground bunkers and stuff, right? And then Uranium One, the Canadian-based uranium mining and processing company. It also has a lot more involvement in research, development, and production. Now, who was the beneficiary of Uranium One? Well, the primary beneficiary is Russia. So, huh. Huh. So, Everyone's blaming Hillary Clinton for the sale of Uranium One to Russia, right? Due to her position as Secretary of State at the time of the sale. But the sale was approved by the U.S. government, including the Committee of Foreign Investment in the United States, which is the intra-agency committee that I told you about, chaired by the Secretary of Treasury, Treasury, Energy, Treasury, Energy. Oh, man. Huh. Now, of that list, there was one very interesting name. Ernest Moniz. Ernest Moniz is currently the CEO and co-chair of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, NTI. It's a nonprofit, there we go again with these nonprofits, dedicated to reducing the risk of catastrophic attacks and weapons of mass destruction. Moniz, he previously served as United States Secretary of Energy under President Barack Hussein Obama from 2013 to 2017. He's also a professor Emeritus at um, MIT for physics. And he's a senior fellow at the Harvard Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Now, while we all know what Hillary Clinton's role was, you got to know about the negotiation. So let me tell you about the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Again, the Nuclear Threat Initiative is a non. <laughs> Nonprofit. I mean, it's a nonprofit on paper, okay? Dedicated to reducing the risk of catastrophic attacks. NTI has a very, very big interest in Antarctica due to the continent's potential of becoming a major source of conflict between countries due to the abundance of natural resources, its potential for military activity, and its strategic importance for global climate change. What NTI is looking to do is to ensure that only scientific research and international cooperation exists. And the way they're doing it is to promote peaceful uses of the continent and protect the environment. It's strengthening and expanding existing Antarctic conservation measures, including the establishment of marine protected areas and the designation of Antarctic specially protected areas that would disallow any nation to enter. Additionally, it's advocating 
for the development of Antarctic tourism regulations to reduce the impact and visiting of humans anywhere on that continent. Wait, what? Why? Well, let me tell you about the people that sit on this board. So the chair and the CEO of NTI is Ernest. Ernest Moniz. And then the co-chair is the same dude. So he's the chair and the co-chair. And then, well, <laughs> it's Ernest Moniz and then it's Ernest J. Moniz, right? Same Moniz. And then Sam Nunn, wow, William J. Perry, Howard Berman, David Burr, Brent Scowcroft, Michael Bloomberg, that short night just appears everywhere, doesn't he? Richard Parsons, Joan Sparrow, and Peter Veggies. <clears throat> Does NTI get government funding? It doesn't receive any direct funding. Ha 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 but it does get a lot of funding from the Department of State's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, the CTR program. That is one of the biggest money laundering washing machine fronts ever because it gives money, you know, like millions at a time to assist non-governmental organizations working to reduce the threat of weapons and mass destruction. So NTI has received numerous CTR grants. In 2018, in fact, NTI got a $3 million grant from CTR to reduce the threat of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons. Huh. Biological weapons. Huh. And in 2019, NTI received an additional $2 million grant from CTR to support efforts to reduce the threat of nuclear and radiological weapons. Huh. Now, that is very interesting, isn't it? I think it's quite fascinating, if you ask me. Who are these people? Who are these people? And why are they making laws so that we cannot even visit Antarctica and not allow to be around there? This is a very important question that a lot of people should be asking. So one thing someone can ask is Sam Nunn, right? Sam Nunn, just so you know, was a former U.S. Senator from Georgia. Georgia. And he's co-chairman and uh, he's co-chairman of NTI, which again is an alleged nonprofit that looks to thwart Nuclear, biological, radiological, and chemical, and cyber now. <laughs> They've included cyber in that mass destruction. While he was in the Senate, Nunn was heading up national security, arms control policy, and he was actually serving as the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee and permanent subcommittee on investigations. He played a key role in shaping U.S. nuclear policy and arms controls negotiation and was instrumental in the passage of several landmark pieces of legislation, including the non-Luger Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, which helped to dismantle and secure nuclear weapons and materials in the former Soviet Union. I hope you guys are paying attention. Did I mention that Russia has a lot of research bases in Antarctica that predate the U.S. presence, therefore they can't kick them out? I just wanted to say this. Now, here's the weird thing. Do you know who founded NTI? Ted Turner and Nunn were the ones that founded NTI Get this. 
in 2001. NTI worked with governments and non-government organizations and the private sector to develop and implement innovative solutions to nuclear security challenges. And Ron, anyone? Hello, hello, hello. And now let's take a look at William Perry, who's on NTI. He was the former Secretary of Defense. He's now on the board of directors of NTI. He was Secretary of Defense under Bill Clinton. He played a very key role in shaping U.S. national security policy and oversaw, get this, military operations in Haiti, Bosnia, and Iraq. He was also helping um, in the 1994 agreement with North Korea to, you know, put a pause on their nuclear weapons program, right? <laughs> so Ted Turner and Nunn made this and on the board is, you know, Secretary of Defense and Ernest is on there. I mean, whatever, right? So he was a big advocate about nuclear disarmament and non-proliferation, right? And what he does is promote global cooperation and dialogue. Um, which is, which is crazy because I, I don't know how he could do that. So let's, let's see this. Now, wh why would the NTI, the Nuclear Threat Initiative, be primarily focused on reducing global threats posed by weapons, mass destruction, disruption, nuclear, biological, radiological, chemical, and cyber, and throwing most of their direction to Antarctica? Pretty, I mean, it's just weird. Because the Nuclear Threat Initiative is working to ensure that Antarctica, get this, remains peaceful and cooperative environment for scientific research, sans the people. They don't want human activity on the continent. So who is funding this? Again, it's obviously the State Department. But here's where a name comes up that's like, wait, hold on a second. What's going on here? Stop it. Have you guys ever heard of the John and Catherine MacArthur Foundation? Does that ring a bell? What about the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation? The Carnegie Corporation of New York? Right. All of those are the ones that are primarily funding NTI. Weren't they involved during the earthquake in Haiti? Didn't the John and Catherine MacArthur Foundation pay a ton of money in relief efforts for the earthquake. I believe they gave $4.5 million to support relief, including funding emergency supplies, medical care, reconstruction. Wasn't Peter Strzok's dad working with them? Okay. Now we're getting a nice clear picture, right? But the funny thing is that I noticed um, is partners in health. Partners in Health is somehow working with NTI. Now, why would Partners in Health, that's a nonprofit that was founded by Dr. Paul Farmer and Ophelia Dahl, Thomas J. White, Todd McCormick, and, oh, get this, Jim Young Kim in 1987. Now, that organization, Partners in Health, right, is supposed to provide healthcare services to underserved communities around the world, like Haiti or Peru or Rwanda. You remember when the, oh yeah, they were there, Malawi and much, much more. They're known for their commitment to social justice and its approach to healthcare. So why would Partners in Health, a nonprofit, right, be so fascinated with NTI's work in Antarctica? Well, here it gets even bigger. 
Joe Biden himself, right, is a longtime supporter of Partner in Health. In fact, he worked with the organization on a number of initiatives over the years. Again, NTI looks at biological weapons and threats. Here is where Dr. Jill Biden traveled to Haiti and did some stuff in Africa with Hunter Biden and Patrick Ho got fucked for that. Do you remember that? With Partners in Health. Right? Right? And you know who else kind of helped? U.S. Senator Mike DeWine, who's now a uh, governor. Mm. It's really interesting. And all that was done through the Ohio State University Foundation. DeWine has been involved with the Ohio State University Foundation, which raises fund to support Ohio State University as a member of its board. Do you know who is on the board of trustees and who created all of that? Oh, that's right. Les Wexner. Right? So the Ohio State University Foundation was actually founded in 1946. Ohio State University Foundation gets a ton of money from L Brands, got from Victoria's Secret, from everywhere, right? The Wexner family has a long history of philanthropy to the university. <laughs> so now we circle back to Les Wexner and House LaRose. And we get into the water. Now let me tell you some things about water. Uh, so I, it, it, you know what's really hard? Articulating things that I want to just cuss about. It's extremely difficult when you don't want to cuss, but you're going to cuss. And you're like, I don't want to cuss. I could keep it simple. So we know all about this derailment, right? And it's, uh, and it's uh, pretty interesting. Now, um, as you know, our most favorite um, industrial hygienist has um, uncovered that dioxins were actually discovered in the water. I'm going to tell you something that you might not like. Most of your drinking water has dioxins. In fact, dioxins are a very lethal type, highly toxic. It degrades your DNA, and um, this is why they say that um, it um, is classified as a human carcinogen. Now, many will say the explosion did it. It didn't. The, the dioxins, I mean, I urge many of you to just go and check your water supply. You have dioxins in there. All your water has it because of byproducts. Um, they're byproducts of, you know, industrial processes, pesticides, herbicides, plastic, whatever the hell they're spraying in the air, um, as well as waste uh, incineration and certain natural processes like forest fires, right? Now, they're very persistent. Dioxins do not leave easy. They're persistent in the environment and they can actually accumulate in the food chain. They're linked to various adverse health effects like uh, reproductive development problems, immune system changes, hormonal disruptions, everything. The most toxic one is 2378-tetrachlorodibenzo-P-dioxin, which would be a byproduct of a chlorobenzene that's used in illicit, in illicit fentanyl. Um, 
Uh, just so you understand, uh, illicit fentanyl is uh, created by certain chemical compounds. And chemical compounds are substances made up of two or more elements that um, can chemically bind together in a fixed ratio. And those elements in a compound are held together by specific bonds, right? That's the way basic chemistry is. So what are the compounds of illicit fentanyl? Well, in general, illicit fentanyl is a single chemical compound, and it's known as um, N1-phenethylpiperidin-4-L-N-phenylopropamide. However, people can make it into anything, powders, pills, liquids. It can be mixed with other drugs like cocaine or heroin that make it even more dangerous. It's unpredictable and it's highly potent. Now, uh, the starting material for uh, the synthesis of N-phenethyl for piperidion, which is synthesized from benzene via multi-step chemical process. However, the synthesis of this compound is not a simple process because it requires specialized knowledge, equipment, facilities, or you just need to know the right compound, okay? Now, dioxins, which are a highly toxic chemical group, right, are um, usually when you burn materials that contain certain chlorinated compounds, like someone would say like PVC, right, polyvinyl chloride or polyesterine, right? Those release dioxins in the air. But, you know, therefore, um, fentanyl um, actually has a benzo chloride that is used to create the illicit one is the chlorobenzene, actually. Um, or a dichlorobenzene too. Uh, it's just a chlorinated aromatic that is used, um, uh, you know, for its production because it's put in chlorinated solvents like um, uh, trichloroethylene or perchloroethylene, um, you know, chlorinated hydrocarbons. I mean, there's tons, um, but all of those are toxic, right? Now, chlorobenzene is one of the most hazardous chemical compound that is used in various industrial processes. It's used in pesticides, pharmaceuticals, and plastics. It's also used as a solvent and degreaser in manufacturing processes, as well as used to create illicit fentanyl. It can exist in tons of form, uh, like in in, uh, in chemical forms. It can it can have different shapes depending on where on the benzene ring do you have the chlorine atom, right? But in general. Um, this transportation of this is a big deal. Why? Because dioxins are known to have huge toxic effects on human health. It's important to note that dioxins are so toxic and so persistent that exposure to even small amounts can have serious health effects. Therefore, it's crucial to minimize exposure to dioxins by avoiding contaminated food, air, and water sources. Now, I want to tell you how dioxins can actually bind to your DNA, okay? They bind by creating covalent bonds with nucleophilic sites on the DNA molecule. So, um, covalent bonds, unlike ionic bonds, right, are formed by sharing of electrons between atoms, and they result in the formation of a very strong bond. So, they like stick. And what they do is they form these covalent bonds with the nitrogen or the oxygen atoms of the DNA molecule. And it's particular, it's, it's very particular, it'll target your guanine and adenine bases. 
right? And that results in the formation of DNA adducts, which are like weird structures that can interfere with the normal functioning of the DNA. Now, if you remember yesterday's show, I explained to you how every single split second that you're breathing and living, your DNA is unzipped and read so that proteins can be made so your body can function normally for waste, for cell signaling, for regrowth and everything. So if you have an adduct, an abnormal structure that interferes in your DNA, it's kind of like throwing a wrench into it, you can't unzip it. Or if you unzip it, it's going to unzip the wrong side and you're going to have weird stuff going on. So once dioxins bind to the DNA, they can cause a range of genetic damage, including strand breaks, mutations, chromosomal aberrations. Like this is, this is going to, this interferes with every single thing that you could do with the most important cellular processes, such as DNA replication, repair, transcription, you know, just it's genetic damage and cell death. Now, why am I telling you this? Because, you know, they're announcing that Northern Southern, uh, Northern Suffolk, uh, whatever, they all have to like pay for this damage and now it's going to be a wasteland, exactly what they wanted to do. I urge all of you to test for dioxins. You can never get dioxins out. And this is why we have such a huge increase over the past few decades after they started treating water, right? Because we have dioxins. Things it can do, birth defects, aging, autoimmune diseases, neurological disorders, cancer, you name it, it can be done. Now, can water treatment plants clear dioxins? Dioxins are persistent, get this, organic pollutants, right? They are very difficult to remove from the environment. Now, some water treatment plants may be able to reduce the levels of dioxins in water, but complete removal of these contaminants is almost impossible and may not be feasible with whatever we have in technology today. Now, conventional water treatment methods are like um, flocculation, coagulation, sedimentation, and filtration, and, they're, and are generally not effective at removing dioxins from water. Dioxins can also resist biodegradation, right? And they're not easily destroyed by chemical or physical treatment methods. I'm trying to point this out. However, there are some advanced water treatment technologies such as activated carbon filtration, reverse osmosis, and ultraviolet irradiation that may be effective at reducing dioxin levels in the water. Now, those methods have in fact shown uh, to remove some dioxin compounds from water, but their effectiveness can vary because it kind of depends on the specific dioxin compound and the concentration it has in the water and the type of treatment and technology used. Now, despite the potential for advanced treatment technologies to reduce dioxin levels in the water, it's important to note that prevention is the best strategy for protecting public health. The primary source of dioxin contamination in water is industrial activities and improper waste disposal practices. Now, what methods can we use to eradicate or reduce the, you know, dioxin from the water supply. Like what can we do? Well, there's source control, the primary source of the dioxin contamination in the water, you know, who's doing it, who's dumping it, advanced water treatment technologies like carbon filtration, like I said, reverse osmosis, there's bioremediation. That's actually a process that they use microorganisms to break down or transform the contaminants in the water, but not all dioxin compounds are amenable to biodegradation. 
like there are some microorganisms that can break down dioxin dioxin like compounds um but it has to be highly specific for the dioxin compound so it's like you're treating it with like an amoeba or some bacteria that you introduce into the water supply to go eat it. And, you know, your bacteria likes to eat chicken, but this dioxin is pork. It's going to be like, yeah, I'm not eating that. You have to find a very specific bacteria to do it, right? So that's that. Now, one thing you need to understand is, is that um, um, there are water treatment plants for um, massive uh, chip plants, right? Chip plants are a big thing these days, and uh, everybody wants uh, chip plants. Right? <laughs> and um, water tr water treatment plants are necessary, actually, with um, semiconductor plants because they do have a byproduct of dioxins. So I am just pointing that out. Because just so people understand, wa wastewater treatment and recycling from a semiconductor industry, um, they've become one of the most crucial contributors to the economy in general. We had chip shortages and whatnot. Now, the wastewater often produced has high levels of anions and organic pollutants like ammonia, nitrogen, phosphate, and fluoride, along with, get this, dioxins. Now, you would say that the wastewater has a lot of fluoride. Your water has a lot of fluoride. Kind of seems like they were just, you know, priming you so you can be, you know, oh, it's normal. Now, there have been a lot of discussions on what these, you know, semiconductor chip plants could do. They start recycling because, as you know, the one that's opening up in uh, Ohio by Intel uh, requires uh, 5 million gallons of water a day that's going to be pulling from the Ohio River. Now, what they do is, what they try to do, large chip fabs, you know, can use up to 10 million gallons of water a day, which is equivalent to the consumption of 300,000 households drinking water. But apparently, we're all with a water shortage, which is weird. Now, here is what people don't know, that the water that they use, right, can't be just water that they're pulling from the freaking river. They actually have a counterflow reverse osmosis uh, machine. In, in, in essence, they need to strip it. The water that they have, they treat, and it, ha and it is very, very specific. Okay. It's highly specific. It's very clean water. Right. But when, you know, it comes back, they try to use reverse osmosis and they try to recycle the water they do. Um, so that way they don't pull too much, but it's not very sustainable considering their wastewater is more than, oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Water management strategies, are necessary, right? And, uh, you know, there's life cycle assessments that the people of Ohio have not been given. I mean, it's pretty bad because they have discharged water. And by integrating wastewater that has been treated and discharged from some age wastewater treatments into advanced integrated wastewater treatments, you know, we have seen through the studies that they can only reclaim, uh, you know, maybe a small percentage, like 10% of the water a day that they have when they recycle it. So where does all this bad water go if they're not using it? 
That's a question everyone should ask themselves because the, the, there was a study done um, for wastewater treatment and recycling from uh, semiconductor. And what they noticed is that the um, cubic meters per day capacity to recycle industrial wastewater from the semiconductor industry was very low. Right. And uh, even though they had controlled decomposition, oxidation, they found that it wasn't very effective. And um, I mean, it was done well enough because, you know, they need their ultra filtration, the reverse osmosis under high pH conditions so they can recycle it so they can use it. But they were only about able to save maybe less than a dollar per cubic meters of water a day, which tells you a lot. Now, if you think that I'm just telling you that, oh yeah, you know, we have this stuff, it's in your water and just listen to me and no, no, no. No, they're giving you the big scare because they think you don't know. So allow me to show you a document where they know that, that um, you know, we have a lot of, let me open it, if I open a lot of dioxins already in our water. So it's not new. And that's the problem. It's like nobody understands just how big of a problem this is. Oop, let's, let me share this page. So let's go. Uh, wait, I have to share a window. Um, where is it? There it is. Where is it? Treatment subcommittee. There we go. All right, you guys. Here is the recommendation on one for dioxin treatment options for drinking water. <laughs> you could still drink the water with dioxins. Okay. Here are the members. Do you know I recognize any of these names, New Jersey? In December 2018, DWQI moved forward with developing a recommended maximum contaminant level, so they raised the maximum contaminant level for 1,4-dioxane. The treatment subcommittee is responsible for evaluating the best available treatment technologies or methods for removal of the hazardous contaminants from drinking water. Synthetic organic chemical used as a solvent in manufacturing organic chemicals, used as a stabilizer in chlorinated solvents such as TCA and or illicit fentanyl. Often seen in the environment alongside this VOC. Fully miscible in water and highly mobile. Travels readily from soil down to groundwaters, found in both surface and groundwaters. Wait, so it's found already. Okay, so... Let's keep going. 1,4-dioxanes, hydrophilic nature, and other physical and chemical properties pose treatment challenges. Am I going too fast? So here's where they're monitoring it. Number of New Jersey systems in range. As you can see, 1 to 0.5 micrograms per liter are found in nine New Jersey systems. The highest ones, 6 to 3 micrograms, are in four of them. I bet you those are the underprivileged areas. The subcommittee has met several times to discuss and investigate the best available treatment options for 1,4-dioxane. To do this, the treatment subcommittee did the following. Gathered and reviewed data for a wide variety, identified widely accepted well-performing strategies, reviewed available treatment technologies. Now, as you can see, I can share this um, PDF for you guys. Treatment subcommittee evaluated several forms of UV and hydrogen peroxide, ozone, hydrogen peroxide, UV ozone, and UV chlorine chloramines. New Jersey American Water. 
Well field. Pay attention. Advanced. Tucson water, Arizona. Membrane separation. Granular activated carbon. Remember the carbon filtering? Yeah. Synthetic media. Let's just add more shit to it. Treatment subcommittee concludes that it has been demonstrated that it can be reliably and feasibly removed by careful designated AOP treatment below the recommended health base of 0.33 micrograms per liter. Huh. Still there though. Remember, and it binds to your DNA. So that concludes New Jersey's amazing assistance to the people of New Jersey, of course, right? Because that's what they do. They help everybody out. And they well, hey, ask them if they drink the water in the areas that have it six to three micrograms per liter. Not really. So dioxins exist in your water. They already exist. Uh, Arizona, New Jersey already exist. Ohio, they already exist. But this is the perfect segue to just take over places and provide you amazing 15-minute cities, which, by the way, dang, I know I have this video somewhere. Please tell me I have this video somewhere. Let me see. There was a guy that, um, shoot. I don't have that video here. But I will find it. I will find it, and I will play it for you. Because right now, you know what I want to do? I want to take a quick break and get myself some tea. Um, and I'll see you in three minutes. This is everything you ever wanted. One moment. Did you capture it? Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy There's vomit on his sweater already Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous But on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down The whole crowd goes so loud He opens his mouth but the words won't come out He's choking how? Everybody's choking now The clock's run out I am kind of sick and tired of Google throttling uh, You know, my music it, it, There's no point I like download the video so it makes no sense you know, I download them so that way they don't interrupt and they just keep interrupting. What's the point of downloading it? Now, before we kick off to something more of the entertainment side, but quite nefarious too, I thought we would just uh, kind of get a recap of what a 15-minute city looks like. Right, Cleveland? Let's go. What is a 15-minute city? So come on in, let me show you what a 15-minute community looks like. Well, I'm excited to see this, Randy, because you always break things down into nice practical ways, right? Here we go. These residents of the of the 15-minute community, they're not locked in, but they just stay there. They're free to come and go, but they don't. So let's take a step inside. Everything they need in their life is right here in their 15-minute community. A water bowl, a feed tray. They own nothing, but they are exceptionally happy. And you know how happy they are is by how many eggs they produce. And it's so wonderful because I get to take all everything that they produce and they just keep producing. So let me go in here. And here we go. Each of them have their own house. Now, in a 15-minute community, you don't get a lot of variation in housing. They're all pretty much the same. But we can take a look and collect their production. 
There's a few. There's a few more. And there we go. And they're none the wiser. And and they're happy. Yeah. I I get to take what uh, they produce. They're free to come and go, but the world is so scary for them out there. They will never leave. I don't have to put a fence around them. And here we are. It's an ideal world. I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> Everything is provided for them. They're cared for. They're happy. They're together. Yeah. It's all convenient. What? So anybody who wants to understand what a 15-minute community is, here you go. And there's only one boss. And that boss provides everything for them. So I hope that quick lesson on a 15-minute city helps you. This tells you what the UN said. You will own nothing and love it, right? And they will harvest whatever goods you provide to them, you know, with whatever. Now, one thing I saw was a lot of people on the internet talking about um, Dovaney, right? And Drew Barrymore. Hold on. Let me put up my Twitter feed and see. Uh, let's see. Where is it? So many people were putting this up. And I want to, damn it, where's that video? Gosh darn it, hold on. I had it, but my feed moved, and now it's gone. I wanted to share it with you guys to see it. Um, let me see. I think uh, he did it. Well, again, Miles Chong tweeted one, and then other people did too. You know, the the trans person that's been trans for like a year. Now, uh, I happen to like Drew Barrymore a lot, and she makes me very sad, only because she took it on the chin and said, whatever happened, happened, forget it. I'm going to show you, ooh, gosh darn it, where's that clip? I need to show it to you. Hold on. Damn it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. Um, it's in my history, so I'll find it. Give me a second. Because um, it was extremely alarming one specific part was and i'm just going to play it quickly before i get into that whole um drew barrymore drama give me a second i need to uh find the clip because it escaped me again what happens when you're a one-man band damn you know i really need to be able okay okay so it was right there okay i do have it all right so here we go guys this is part of a documentary that I urge a lot of people to watch. It's called Dark Hollywood, Drew Barrymore Documentary 2022 Part 1. I'm going to start it from here. Um, I want you guys to, I'm going to stop it when I'm done showing you what I need to show you, and you'll get it. Here we go. Some small TV parts kept him busy until returning to film with supporting roles in While the City Sleeps, released in 1956, Six began to mirror monkeys on his back. Socialite Norm. The campaign, the law, divorce from Kara, January of 1950. October, he was blacklisted from Hollywood. On January 25, 1960, his half sister Diana Barrymore died suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 38. A combination of prescription drugs and alcohol was the suspected cause, although the autopsy. And so we started out very poor. Now a single mother, and with little help from friends and family, Jade's film career never really took flight. 
while working full-time as a waitress to support her and baby Drew. She was also attending additions and sometimes landed small acting jobs. But this left very little time for Drew, who was most often looked after by neighbors and sitters. It's been a long time since I've seen her. Yes, it has been. Yes, it has. You, you probably didn't know that until I told you today, did you? No, I didn't. I used to babysit her. I did. Did know. I have the coolest babysitter or what? No, when I first came to town, he was riding around your motorcycle <laughs> looking for jobs, and uh, one of them was babysitting. I said, well, that's a cute kid. She should, she should grow up to be real pretty. Well, thank you. Oh, All right. So that's that that I wanted to show. You know, they, um, gosh darn it, I really need to find that Drew Barrymore clip. Gosh darn it. I really need to find that Drew Barrymore clip. I want to find it now because it's, it's, it really pissed me off when I saw people mocking this. Now, this Dulvaney person, right, decided that they wanted to be a girl. Sure, whatever. Did their whole thing. Sure, whatever, right? But, you know, a lot of people don't understand a lot of things. And so wait, I'm finding the video. I, I'll share my screen so you guys can see where I'm looking for it. So I'm looking for the latest one, which was a video of her kneeling. Um, this is the one of her kneeling and everyone's, here's the video. Just take a listen to it. Liking you. Shoot. Oh, please. Do you know, do you want to know? As I look at someone like you, and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh, please. Do you know, do you want to know, ironically, who uh, dislikes me the most sometimes? Who? Myself. Oh, me too. Oh. And, but, I guess, you know, you've asked me now, like, <sighs> you've asked me, like, what I would do to combat the hate, right? Yeah. But what do you do? Okay, that's a great question. Now, I started- You've been doing it a little longer than I have. I look at someone like you, and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh, please. Do you know, do you wanna know, ironically, who uh, dislikes me the most sometimes? Who? Myself. Now, that tells you a lot, right there. You know, there's a few people that, um, look for justice when they're victims for things, right? They do. They look for justice. Other times they're just like, I could have said something and I didn't. And, you know, if you listen carefully to what she's saying, right? She's like, hey, I hate myself most of the time, right? And, you know, obviously this is the struggle that people with gender dysphoria have too. Um, this was just, this was a really honest moment. You know what? I would love for Body Language Ghost to go all over this because Drew was being very, very sincere and very honest. And yet, you know, and Mulvaney in one sense, mm, you know, same thing, right? Now, there were more tweets. Hold on, let me, let me go through them because they were laughing at this and... I've done a clip like this with my friend, not with this song, but I've, I've done it. And you know, people are just eating. Hold on, let me play it. It's pretty cool. Two best friends in a room, they might kiss. Yes, we will. What? Yes, we will. That was fun. 
right? There was nothing, oops, there was nothing wrong with that. That was them doing a TikTok, right? There was nothing wrong with that. And everyone is politicizing that. And then you wonder what our problem is, right? You know, she, you know, got on her knees and people were like, oh my gosh, you know, this is this so dumb. This is the stupidity that we have. There was nothing wrong with the TikTok, right? I'll do it with what anybody, woman, man, trans, you know, if we're feeling ourselves and we want to have fun, well, it was fun, you know? And I wanted to point this out because your celebrities are telling you things and no one's listening, right? We also had Paris Hilton attack. Oh, you know, and this is where it gets really ugly. This is where the right loses their mind on things when they're not supposed to. We're supposed to be focusing on things that are more important. Now, for example, uh, everyone loves to hate Paris Hilton. Let's remember that Paris Hilton, this with Britney Spears, it's going to be very important coming freaking soon. Okay. So remember how everyone mocked? Oh, why are we doing this? It's very important. Now, Drew will never come forward with most of the things, right? But, you know, a lot of people are mocking now Paris Hilton because, you know, she used IVF and a surrogate because she wanted to be a mom and she didn't tell anyone, right? But listen to what Paris Hilton has to say about her life. She's actually opening up about it. Like, I knew she was pregnant with the surrogate because someone she used to date is extended family. So even though she didn't tell most people, a lot of people that were in her past knew because they helped her, you know, get what she wanted, which was she wanted to have a baby and she was trying. Take a listen. It's weird to talk about. You might think you know Paris Hilton. I'm very shy. No one would guess that about you. No one would guess that, no. But I'm extremely, extremely shy. But behind the glittery backdrop of the paparazzi princess. That's it, that's it, after him, no more. I just felt that the whole world saw me as the sex symbol, but inside I didn't feel that way at all. She says was the real Paris. I created this character inside of this place because I just wanted to be someone else. As we continue to examine how young women in the limelight were treated 20 years ago, in her new self-titled memoir, the pop culture icon now flipping her narrative on its head. You had a caricature of yourself with the high voice and the, you know, rich spoiled brat persona. Was that really you? No, that was a trauma response and kind of created this almost Barbie doll fantasy life. A response to the unspeakable abuse and anguish she says she endured as a teenager that helped shape who she is today. She became the it girl of the early aughts. Her face all over the tabloids. Everyone thinks Nicole and I are these two girls who've never worked a day in their life. Mocked as famous for being famous, most notably for her reality TV show, The Simple Life. That's hot. Two decades later, her influence remains undeniable, constantly reinventing herself. She says it all stems from a painful place. You said this is like taking a sledgehammer to the wall 
of silence and shame. This whole book is about that. It's been extremely healing, obviously extremely traumatizing as well, because I think when you go through trauma in life, you don't want to remember it. Paris says school didn't come easy for her and that she had ADHD, but didn't know it at the time. Just being in school and not being able to concentrate and just not understanding why until later on. Like, I wish I would have been diagnosed earlier. In her book, Paris writes that when she was 14 years old, a teacher she knew developed a crush on her. He gave you compliments? Yes. What kinds of things did he say? How mature I was, how beautiful I was, um, that other boys my age wouldn't understand. She says eventually she had an encounter with him that would haunt her to this day. Just started calling me almost every night. And um, Ben said, I would love to see you and wanted me to sneak out and meet up with him. And you write, one night he comes over mm -hmm. and you meet him out in his car. What happens? Once we got in the car, he kissed me and then all of a sudden there was headlights and it was my parents and then they started chasing our car. We had got, got away and then I came back home and acted like it never happened. You forthrightly write in the book, for 25 years I framed this as my first kiss, but when you look back on it now, what do you think of it as? I see it as a man grooming a child. Paris says she became a rebellious teen, a risk taker, partying, skipping school. Eventually, her parents, Kathy and Rick Hilton, sent her to multiple so-called emotional growth schools for troubled teens. Before I went to Provo Canyon School, I was such a free spirit. They stole my childhood. Provo Canyon School was the worst experience of my entire life. I can't believe that place is even still open and that they're operating. What do you remember from Provo? Throwing us against walls, strangling, hitting. You talk about having a later, a lingering fear of gynecologists because of some of the stuff that you endured. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was going on? Late at night, they would take certain girls into a room and do cervical exams with male and female staff. And it was not like something that was a, a doctor. Like these were just them doing this late at night to girls. Did that happen to you? Yes. Invasive searches and stuff? Yes. I think that was just another way for them to have that power over us and also I think that a lot of them enjoyed it. You said they would watch you showering? Yes, male and female staff would watch the girls shower. Paris recently posted these photos to Instagram, showing her just after leaving those schools when she turned 18, writing, I can see the pain in my eyes. I was so traumatized that I pretended everything was okay, trying to block out the painful memories.
When ABC News reached out for comment on Paris Hilton's accusations, it replied with a media statement, which says in part, Provo Canyon School was sold by its previous ownership in August 2000. We therefore cannot comment on the operations or student experience prior to that time. It goes on to add, we do not condone or promote any form of abuse. She believes her traumatic experiences ultimately drew her into toxic relationships, including with a man more than 10 years her senior, which ultimately led to that notorious sex tape. It didn't even occur to me that you were 19, you were a teenager when that sex tape was made. What was the dynamic of that relationship like? I was obviously not in a good headspace, and I think I just met the worst person that I could meet, and then to be exploited like that, where the media was so cruel to me. I was so just embarrassed and uh, hurt and mortified. Three years after it was filmed, the video was released and made its way around the world. It became fodder for tabloids and talk shows. I do believe that we have evolved as a society, and now we're understanding that this was a huge violation of privacy. In what way do you think you're taking back the narrative on this? I feel that my narrative and story for the past two decades has been told by the media, and with this book, it's a chance for me to take back my own narrative and tell the truth. Paris has gone on to become an advocate, dedicating herself to exposing what she calls the troubled teen industry. Imagine if it was your child who was suffering abuse, neglect or death in the name of treatment. Wouldn't you do everything in your power to protect them? Working to change laws across the country. Being here? Yes. And I hear you may have a bipartisan bill now. And testifying to Utah legislators. I am proof that money doesn't protect against abuse. It's been the most empowering time of my life, really turning my pain into a purpose and having this mission. And I feel that it will make it all worth it, everything I went through, if I can stop it from happening to other children. The Paris sitting here today at 42 is living life on her own terms. She's now married, a mother, and one of the highest paid DJs in the world. In the moment, what are you feeling? It's such a magical feeling. I just feel empowered, I feel excited, and I feel safe up there as well. What would you tell young women today and, and that young Paris? I would tell her that you're going to go through a lot in life, but one day you're gonna take everything that you've learned and use it for the power of good to help others. Our thanks to Juju. And in this week's episode of Imp So that is Paris Hilton's story that in the name of treatment, they abuse children in the name of treatment. And again, I circle back to Drew Barrymore who has had the same story because if you think of it, you know, her rebellious, you know, youth, right? Her younger years were just her rebelling, 
you know, I'm on my own. You can't do anything. I should just own it. The sex tape, she owned it until she didn't want to own it because it wasn't fair. Right. And <clears throat> some people like Drew Barrymore had the same thing happen. If you notice, she was extremely rebellious, has gone through everything. You know, these are, these are constantly ongoing. Then we had, you know, Michael Knowles has a lot of good commentary, but for some reason, he's now dogging IVF. Now, because IVF, as you guys know, is creating uh, embryos, freezing them, and using them later. So the argument is, well, you know, <clears throat> IVF shouldn't happen. It's like killing babies when she had cervical examinations done by non-doctors, which may have caused her concerns and issues with her own uterus. And again, um, just pointing something out. Now, something telling is, is that here she is, you know, saying that, you know, this is, this is from a couple of weeks ago, actually. Hold on, let me, let me show you guys. This was actually published three months ago where Paris Hilton saying IVF is going well, despite her mom saying it's a struggle. Keep in mind, Paris Hilton didn't even tell her mom that she had a successful pregnancy with the surrogate. She didn't even tell her mom. And she had the baby at home, and she only just told her mom. That in itself speaks volumes. I just want you to see this report from three months ago. Hey, Paris, Carter, how are you guys? Hey, congrats on your first year of marriage. Complete, it's in the books. Some people claim it's the, it's the hardest year of marriage. How, how did you guys find it? Best year of my life. Oh, is that right? It was all up? Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. And you had a massive party to, to celebrate? Yeah, it was insane. That's we awesome. launched my new media company, 1111 Media. Fantastic. So, Congrats. Both at once. It was <laughs> hey, could I ask? Could I ask? How's your IVF? So, Congrats. Both at once. So, launched awesome. my new media company, 1111 Media. Fantastic. So, Congrats. Both at once. So, <laughs> hey, could I ask? Could I ask? How's your IVF journey going? I, I know it can be tough. I have tons of embryos that are all just been waiting. We've been stocking up on a lot of them, so yeah. That's great. <laughs> Is it challenging at all? Um, your mum said that you know it's a bit of a struggle at times. I don't know where she got that. Oh, really? It's never been a struggle at all. So, so the process hasn't been that sort of difficult, you know, emotionally or anything like that. No, we don't talk about that. Oh, that's that's great. Have you got any Have you got any advice for other women in a similar situation? Um, my advice is definitely to do IVF, you know, and you'll find the right person. But I wouldn't just depend on that. Fantastic. Uh, I'm lucky, I found a perfect half. That's that's so good. And last thing, way down the track, would you ever consider adoption at all? Do you know? Okay. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time. Sorry? I'll adopt a dog. Oh, adopt a dog. Are, are you, are, how are you doing post all of that? Are you, are you feeling better about everything? No. I'll never get over losing Diamond Baby, so I'm praying that she's out there. Nine different psychics all told me that she is alive and she's with someone. 
So if you're watching, please give me my daughter back. Um, but yeah, I think about her every day and I miss her so much. You think that you'll be reunited with her one day? I believe that we will. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey. So let's unpack some of that. So her new media company, 1111. Uh, she's talking about IVF and how she's stored a lot of her embryos. Um, and she's talking about her dog that disappeared. Nobody knows where it is, but she's like, psychics told me that she's alive. So if she's alive, you know, bring my baby back. And we all know the pain of uh, losing our pets. It's quite devastating for us. But now let's go to the report from two weeks ago, right? From TMZ about Paris Hilton's new baby, right? So six, eight weeks after they put that out, you know, this happens. Take a listen. After a little teaser, it's finally time for the hard launch of Paris Hilton's baby! Ta-da! And he's got a name! Give us a clue, Paris! It's also the name of a city in the U.S. Okay, well, there are a bunch of those, and we're terrible with maps, so someone give us another clue! It's not bad. That's not a clue, but we'll let her know you're fine with the name choice, which is... Phoenix Baron Hilton Ream. Phoenix! Adorable! She's trying to keep, like, the city name going. Like, obviously, her name is Paris. Why would you go Phoenix? I don't know, because Temecula's taken. <laughs> <laughs> but the big thing here is Paris kept Phoenix super-duper top secret. She didn't tell her mom or her sister until after he was born. And why? You're just nervous, because if you tell one person, then, you know, they tell someone, and then all of a sudden, it's like in TMZ or page six. Suppose we did find out after the baby's born. I mean, why didn't she just come out after the baby's born and say, why wait 10 days? Because she says that her whole entire life has been the and always out of the public. But that's her doing. Paris Hilton? Let's go the camera. Nice. Yeah, look at camera. She does have a certain love for the cameras, yeah. Yeah, she's missing PR. Paris Hilton is any celebrity. If you want to have privacy, you can have that. Right. And she can reveal her baby's name whenever and however she wants to. In between saying the baby's name, she's like, I would like to share a passage from my new upcoming book. Oh, oh my God. And that's how she said the name. Hey, gotta sell copies, right? So, thanks, Phoenix. Now go help mommy get on the bestseller list. Wow. Were they salty or what? They were salty as shit because they didn't, did, did, she didn't tell anyone. She didn't tell anyone. Thank you. I got eight balls. <laughs> Thank you for the rants, guys. It's really hard for me to see them unless I'm looking. I just wanted to see, you know, um, what the comments were playing this, right? Pretty cool name, right? Phoenix Baron. Hmm. Another Baron from a property tycoon. That's, that's quite interesting. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, there's going to be more coming out that way. There are sides being chosen right now. And unfortunately, to, you know, yesterday and today, I'm watching the right smash her for using IVF and equating it to abortion. And then it's like, Okay, uh, having worked with embryos myself, I know a lot of people that, you know, can't have kids. And it's just, it's really, really hard. But having said that, showcasing Drew Barrymore and Paris Hilton, like I did Britney Spears, which was very important at the time. And people laughed. You're going to see what else is going to come out of it. Like, um, 
you know, you know what's weird? Kim Kardashian had paid a guy to release a sex tape of her. And then this guy releases a sex tape of Paris Hilton. Who orchestrated that? Kim knew about the tape being released. Who orchestrated that? See, the humiliation ritual that they do amongst these people is ridiculous. You just have to, uh, you know, understand that. Now, humiliation in regards to things said online too. And that's how I want to close today's show. I want to introduce you to a Twitter troll that was arrested for free speech. And you're going to say, well, Tori, uh, no, this is a big deal. And a lot of us should be behind this. This happened over two years ago. Baked Alaska just went to jail. And there is a big reason for this that I'm pointing this out right now because this is going to come into focus. His tweets were found to have caused disruptions in election meddling in 2016, allegedly. A tweet that was identical to one that, what was that stupid chick? Christina Wong was her name? Which, what was that chick's name from the New York Times? The crazy one that got fired because she was saying crazy shit at some point. She did the same thing. But anyway, take a listen. A notorious Twitter troll was arrested on federal charges of election interference. Douglas Mackey, also known by his online alter ego Ricky Vaughn, is accused of a voter disinformation campaign during the 2016 election. The arrest represents what could be a big change in how the federal government fights election interference. NBC News investigative reporter Brandy Zadrozny joins us now. So, Brandy, first of all, tell us about the election disinformation campaign that Mackey is accused of orchestrating. What did he allegedly do? So, yeah, Mackey is accused of having used Twitter to um, coordinate with other trolls in these private spaces, private group chats. One was called War Room. Um, and he's accused of spreading disinformation, specifically that voters could cast their ballots via social media and text. Um, this one was specifically aimed at Black and Latino voters. You could tell because he used memes with Black people and ones written in Spanish, allegedly. Now, basically, you know, what this guy did is what we're all really familiar with from the Russian Internet Agency. They created fake posts. They said that, you know, in these posts that certain celebs were on the Trump train, for instance, right? Or they created fake advertising campaigns for Hillary Clinton where they were like, um, we're going to draft your daughters into the armed forces. Um, or, you know, like we just said, the lies about when and where people can vote. And just like the Russian campaign, we've been saying forever, there's a homegrown alt-right disinformation campaign and it was aimed at electing Donald Trump. And quickly, Brandy, we really haven't seen the federal government policing election interference on social media posts before, but what could this mean for the fight against misinformation moving forward, especially if he's convicted? Well, Joe, we have. It's just that it's not been aimed at us, right? The, the people working for the Internet Research Agency in Russia face federal charges. It's just that now we're look, the DOJ is looking into our own backyard. As for what it means, you know, there were several um, unnamed co-conspirators in there uh, in the complaint, but they did include their Twitter IDs. So we have sort of have an idea of who else was in this chat room. And um, those people should be pretty afraid. I think it, you know, also sends the message that these disinformation campaigns have real consequences. We know you'll stay on it. Brandy, thanks so much. Hey, NBC. All right. So let's just see what you know, he did. We should see what he did. But first, let's see what Christina Wong did, which was exactly what he did. Let me show you her tweet, right? This is her tweet, okay? From November 8th, 2016. This is what she did, but she didn't get arrested. Take a look. This is Christina Wong, 
and uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter. And I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're going to show this country who's boss. And that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. So was that not misinformation? That was misinformation, right? Wasn't that misinformation, but that was okay, right? That was okay because it was Christina Wong that did it, right? Miss Christina Wong, right? You remember Miss Christina Wong, right? Pulitzer drama comedian, auntie sewing squad, right? Does a couple cameos here and there. Now, there is a huge issue with this because... He is facing charges. Other people are too. That is a very big deal, right? Very, very big deal. And this is where disinformation began in 2016. They cracked down. Now, if you remember, I have told you, right? This is from 2016, by the way. I have told you many, many times that this disinformation stuff started way before. Remember, Jay Johnson signed all this crap in, in 2017, creating SISA. All of these things have been put in. This is a silencing issue. That was obviously a meme, right? Um, Obviously telling people that they could text to vote. That's basically what he said. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, Yvonne, uh, tweet on... Tweet, text to vote. Let me find it on Twitter. Yeah. Let me let me share my Twitter feed as I search. Hold on. Let me see. Um, text vote for Hillary in the tweet. So held up a huge printed tweet from Alt-Right Troll. Yeah. When they were going after him. Let me see if I can find the media to show it to you. Give me a second. Um, searching. No, no. Okay, where is it? No. Tweet, text to vote. Damn it. Um, how should I? Maybe I can go over from Mackie. Mackie. The Twitter poster who helped Trump win the 2016 is now being persecuted by the Biden DOJ for posting memes. Yeah, he was, he was done in after. This is a huge problem. This is a very huge problem. Social media influencer. This happened just after he swore in. They went after him, right? After he swore in, he tweeted an image that featured an African-American woman standing in front of African-Americans for, for Trump sign. And the image included, avoid the line, vote from home, text Hillary to that number. So he was telling people that they could vote by text and must be 18, 18 or older to vote. One vote per person must be a legal citizen. Voting <clears throat> by tax not available to Guam, Puerto Rico, Alaska. Paid for by Hillary Clinton for president. Look, they went after him. This young boy was scooped up, right, from his house in West Palm Beach, and they went after him. This is exactly what happened to him. Let's see. I want to find the darn tweet. Oh, someone else put it there. There she goes. Bear in mind, this is the kind of joke that happened by others. But if the statute does cover deception, then there's nothing in the text limiting such deception to speech about the machines of voting, alleged lies about, what the heck, guys? If you're stupid enough to think that you could vote by text, that's your problem. 
You're supposed to put, oh, this is a parody. Is that what you're supposed to do? This is the most, oh, look, it's Bruce Reinhardt. No, how is that guy still sitting on a bench? How is that guy still sitting on a bench? This is the guy that rolled up a kid, right? Who had this fantastic idea of mocking Hillary Clinton voters, right? Telling them that they could text and the same judge that approved him getting done in was the same judge that approved, right? The raid in Mar-a-Lago. Not that, like, come on. Like, that's the story. People should be digging into Bruce Reinhardt. People should be digging into him. People of Florida should be filing complaints to their, you know, Florida State, Ohio, no, Ohio, Florida Supreme Court, you know, reporting this judge for politicizing his bench. But that's not going to do anything. He's going to do something. He's going to have a big, fat file. That's what it does. Let me skim through. I'm trying to find it. Damn it. They don't have it on here. They just have his... um. Is charged with election in, uh, let me show you the, I, I actually have that open. I don't know if it shares it because I'm, sometimes when it's PDFs, it wants to be stupid and doesn't let me. Let me see if I can. Well, um, well, it's the same. Okay, so New York came after him. So Brooklyn is charging him and they went to, wait a minute. So hold on a second. Hold on a second. Eastern District of New York is the one that is pursuing the charges, right? Acting Assistant General of the Justice Department, Criminal Division, Sweeney. We've got FBI, New York Field Office. The guy lives in Florida, right? West Palm Beach, just so you know. So the United States, acting United States Attorney Ducharme says that there's no place in public discourse for lies and misinformation to defraud the citizens of their right to vote. Okay, so they are now banning any speech. I hope you are paying attention. When it comes to elections, this is key. This is key. Now, I continue here where it says that in 2016, Mackey established an audience on Twitter with approximately 58,000 followers. On February 2016, analysis by the MIT Media Lab ranked Mackey as the 107th most important influencer of the then up-and-coming election, ranking it above outlets, individuals, among others, such as NBC News, Stephen Colbert, and Newt Greenwich. Hold on a second. So now, this is where we need Elon to come in and drop any emails regarding the tweets, you know, the tweets that he dropped with his massive 58,000 followers. What have I told you? They Remember when the New York Times came after me and they did this whole hit piece in January of 2022? Massive hit piece happened, which Twitch never, you know, paid me for leaking my private information, right? And out of all the Twitch people, the New York Times focused on me. And they were saying, well, yeah, I know she only says that she has 25,000, but her influence is like so high. So MIT Labs colludes with federal agencies to tell them who is really influencing and who's not. No matter how much digital camouflage you have, they will come for you. 
when they know because they work with these people that know the actual numbers. While it says 58,000 followers, he was higher. He was top 100s, right? In Twitter, that's a big deal. As alleged in the complaint between September 2016 and November 2016, in the lead up to the November 8, 2016 elections, Mackey conspired with others to use social media platforms, including Twitter, to disseminate fraudulent messages designed to encourage supporters of one of the presidential candidates to vote via text message or social media and thus fail to cast their ballots in a legally valid manner. Hold on. If you are an adult and you choose to look at something on the internet, like, I don't know, Wikipedia or anything like that, right? Why is someone responsible? Are you, uh, you know, holding people accountable for citing wrong shit on Wikipedia? What, what, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, they shouldn't be voting. If they don't know how votes happen, they shouldn't be voting. This is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever heard. So if they're stupid enough to believe an account that has 56,000 followers, 58, 60,000, I don't care if it's 600,000. That wasn't even verified, so it wasn't verified, right? And they're just saying stuff. If you're stupid enough to think that that's okay, that's a you problem. You shouldn't be voting. I'm, you know, I'm outraged. Look, they started some crazy-ass campaigns that I was totally against because it helped create, you know, Operation Gridlock. And that really bothered me, right? But, you know, they were laughing. Like, they were, <laughs> they had people standing there saying vote, right? They they were putting disclaimers. They were trying to make it look legit, but it was funny. They want to give them 10 years for that. 10 years for that. 10 years. It's disgusting. 10 freaking years. This guy, what is he doing? What is he doing? And New York jumps in. The guy lives in Florida, obviously see that Bruce. Oh, Bruce, Biden's little lapdog. I wonder what's under Bruce's hood. Well, we'll sure, surely find out at a latter date. But for now, I want to draw your attention to where it all started and how dangerous of a time we are in. Dangerous. A lot of people say things online and they think they can get away with it. They harass and they say things. And then when they get chucked huh, and put in a corner and they say, why did you say that? You knew that wasn't true. Well, I, 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 I thought it was true. Really? Here's your text messages saying it doesn't matter. Let's just cause as much stress as we can to someone. That's when they're in trouble. A lot of these people will be going through a lot of things very soon, including Stormy Daniels. Now, while many may think Stormy is on the winning side, it's coming and it will not be pretty. Not be pretty because you can lie, but you can't run. You can't run from justice, even though you're lying now. And boy, the internet is forever. And when you do things like that, it comes back tenfold. I mean, as I said before, you don't even have to bother with it. 
your enemies make their own bed. Stormy is going to get stormy. On that note, have a fantastic evening. Now, like I said, encore. I was going to do this on the locals, but I thought I would share it with everyone. Thank you, everyone, for the subscribes and rumbles. I literally am dependent on it, so thanks. But here's where I'm going to share something with you that I found out totally accidentally, and it was right in front of my face. Have you guys ever heard, well, facial recognition? I'm pretty sure most of your phones ask you if you want facial recognition. I'm sure most of your phones ask you um, to, if you want to try it with a mask too, right? Well, facial recognition is something that we're going to go over um, probably at the end of this week. But I thought I would give you a little task to try. I'm sure a lot of you may or may not have blue light glasses. I think in my last locals, I told you that I have been wearing them and I sleep a lot better because I'm constantly in front of a computer, so wearing them helps. Now, one thing I did notice, though, is that if I wear my blue light glasses, the facial recognition that I have on some devices doesn't work. Wait, what? Well, apparently, blue light glasses do not allow for retina scanning which is weird because it has the rest of my face. So I went digging and I took a look. And this was actually a company that had an Indiegogo, but no one's really looking at it. Now I, have, I haven't purchased anything. I've been looking at these. These are actually, um, let's see, phantom glasses. If you wear these glasses, which look odd, guess what? No facial recognition. No facial recognition. No facial recognition when you're walking in the street, when you're in the supermarket, at the checkout counter, on the bus, on the train, in the plane, nothing. So the blue light glasses have like this, um, they emit, they stop the, the blue light that comes through that makes you tired. Well, it turns out that it actually scans your retina. I had absolutely no idea that they had upgraded to that. At first it was only shape. So there's this um, company that I found called uh, reflecticals.com and they have glasses. If you wear these, actually, I think there's a video. Let me see if there's a video so I can play it for you. Um, actually, hold on. There's actually an article too. Actually, actually, actually. Hold on. Let's see. So this is like from forever and a day. Recognized any camera, anything. You don't have to wear paint you could wear these glasses.
So the ACLU put in an open letter to Amazon Jeff Bezos imploring the CEO to stop selling its product recognition that I talked about to government agencies for facial recognition technology. It promises to track people attending a protest, congregated, well, they obviously sent this letter with the George Floyd protest in advance, right? Because <laughs> they got everyone from that. But these glasses is not just a face ID that relies on infrared. Infrared security cameras are also ambiguous. They're at bars, they're at your 7-Eleven, street corners. Everyone's collecting you as data. So everywhere you go, you as data. But wearing these glasses, they can't see you. So I thought I would bring that up, you know, because that's, that's kind of important. And this is, in this stem, I was like, you know what? I never even thought of talking about it. I'll do a more in-depth show. Um, I'm, I'm going to look around and see which ones I'll wear. I mean, if they look ugly, I'll make it look good. Whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, there's people that wear like these really atrocious. Have you guys seen the glasses that like Dior, Prada, and Gucci have put lately? They look crazy. So these look way better. So <laughs> you know, these are it you cannot be tracked or monitored at all. So you can afford yourself some privacy. So you can test them out when you, <laughs> when they stop you and they're like, excuse me, who are you, right? So these are pretty dope, right? Um, they have uh, light ones, dark ones. I mean, I was using the blue light ones because I'm constantly either on a computer screen or my phone. And so the blue light glasses, I noticed I have one Apple device that I use things on. And, um, you know, I was literally sitting in the chair and the, the device locked. And I'm like, all right, just open up already. Guess what? It wouldn't do it. And the minute I took the glasses off, it did. So then I checked it with my regular glasses. My regular glasses let it scan my face, but it couldn't scan the blue light glasses. So I was like, well, hold on a second. If you can't do blue light you know, we got to get this trending. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be on that website tomorrow at some point. <laughs> and I'm going to see, I pulled it up and I was like, all right, maybe I'll just get the black ones. The clear ones will make me feel too much of a nerd. Right. I don't know about that frame, but I could totally rock that one. And, um, they have clip-ons to put on your glasses if you have prescription glasses. So that's pretty dope. I think, you know, just like they said, you can, this is the only opt out option because you can't even opt out from the government. They're everywhere. You're walking down the street, your cafe, your 7-Eleven, airports, Ubers, my Tesla vehicle, <laughs> right? They're all recording. So I thought I would just uh, bring that up. Um, so, you know, we got to get this trending. If, if conservatives want to take back the power, this is it. We start a trend where people are wearing these glasses and they can't see us is game over. They'll, they'll probably, <laughs> they'll probably ban them too. Now wearing glasses, just like they're like, don't wear masks, but that changed with COVID, right? You could go in there with a full blown ski mask shit after that. But, um, this is, um, this is pretty cool. Hold on. Um, let me find that video. Cause there was a video that, that showed this, that explained that demonstrated, sorry, um, uh, the glasses. Um, let me find it. I know, where is it? Phantom Reflectacles. Okay, these glasses make you invisible to CCTV cameras. Um, okay, here's one. Let me, this is from something called Amis Lab. Let me share it with you. I'm just thinking if everyone did it, it would be game over, right? Let's go. Here we go. 
So all of you have files. Um, actually, there is one more video just to show you how terrifying this is. Give me a second. Let me, hold on. Let me find it. I'm going to find it. Give me a second. Where they actually showed the data being collected on the person. There it is. Anti-surveillance. There we go. This is called privacyglasses.net. I don't, I don't know the company, so I don't. I was looking into this one that did like their whole, um, what is it, Indiegogo for it? They did an Indiegogo, but this anti-surveillance one, they, um, they showed it with, um, with masks too. Take a watch. As you can see, it says his name, his ID, his location, how much of a match, where's he worked, when was he last seen, and at what time, under what camera, right? This is the type of information the police departments get from CCTV too. Almost looks like Chinese social scores. Now, when you're wearing anti-facial recognition glasses, they can't see because it reflects the light back. So the IR, infrared that they're using, and any other lights they're using to scan cannot see. So you just look like a glowing face. So it can't detect you. It can't see you. So this is, this is, this is pretty important for people to know. So they actually scan your retinas. So um, it's a pretty big deal. So having said that, now I'm finally going to go. I'm sorry for the late show. I have a lot of follow-ups. I apologize for that. <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure that most of you know that when you go to a doctor, you know, they're not always on time. They're sometimes they're like two hours behind. And you're like, what's the point of making an appointment if that's going to happen? But also, it does take a toll on you too, right? It takes a big toll on you. So, you know what? I want to do a mashup. I want to do a cool mashup though. Hold on. Let me find the one. Yeah, this one. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Relevant. ETs and all. We'll talk about that at a latter date, I guess. Right? We should. Now, let's see. I haven't downloaded this one, so I'm just going to skim through it quickly so that YouTube doesn't throttle me again. So I'm kind of downloading it. There we go. Still not downloaded. Son of a cracker. Okay, let's see.